Hello and welcome to the Halftime Orange podcast with me, Brenton Weber. Today I'm going to be talking with Joseph Perez or Dr. Joe. Dr. Joe is a senior systems analyst and a CTO. Um, he loves bringing data to life and life to data. And he's a very popular international keynote speaker, and we're very lucky to be speaking to him today. We are going to be covering all sorts of data management and data science topics, but very much about how you can make better decisions, answer more questions, um, set more strategies when you have rich insights, rich actionable insights. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Dr. Joe. Hello and welcome to the Halftime Orange podcast with me, your host, Brenton Weber. Today I'm joined by Dr. Joseph Perez. Doctor, how are you, sir? Hello. I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Brenton? Very good. Very hot. It's uh, we've just a <laughs> um, bit of a timestamp. This is the first conversation I've had since coming back from holiday. And it's already been amazing just in what we've covered in the green room. So, uh, yeah, lovely to be here. Um, it's not quite so warm where you are. No, it's uh, it's rather cold. It's only like uh, it was only like 49 degrees in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I'm wearing a sweater and uh, I am wearing a sweater and you are sweating, you know. <laughs> That's what happens when you're on opposite halves. You know, we live on a sphere, right? One time, mm. one part of the sphere is a mm. little bit further away from that mm. thing called the sun. Yeah. If you're completely on the other end of that sphere, and you know you're having, so yeah, that's uh, that's the thing about hemispheres. That's the way they work. That is right. That's right. And um, the weird thing is, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but you cannot imagine a different temperature. Oh, for, you mean for a particular time of yeah, year? So for instance, yeah, that makes I would sense. Love, yeah. I would love to empathize and, and um, feel a bit chillier, but I cannot even imagine what it would be like. It was at the start of last year, I was in the UK just before kind of COVID kind of really bit. Right. And um, my wife was FaceTiming me with with um, the children and they were on the beach and it was so warm and I was in my kind of cold English house with great central heating. <laughs> but I could not I could not comprehend what it must feel like to be hot. And it's it just got smell is something that really triggers our memories, um, sounds are, sights are. But when it comes to the feeling of temperature, I just don't think it I was just thinking that over the over the last few days that it doesn't it doesn't compute with us, does it? You can't imagine how that right. I'm sweaty. <laughs> you can just see it, <laughs> and, and you can't imagine me, you know, going uh, blowing on my hands or something. You know, I can't imagine doing that in July. You're probably putting on a parka in July. Well, no, doesn't get that cold in. No, get that cold in we whine anyway. and moan. We whine and moan about it, but it's more <laughs> the fact that because it is genuine generally pretty mild we uh we don't build our houses properly <laughs> so oh, okay. we don't have we don't build for cold we literally just hunker down camping in our balsa wood houses from <laughs> may to august and then we kind of start to to feel it coming on australia's even yeah. they build their houses even more flimsily because of course their summers are even longer um, right but yeah yeah. And That's of course, crazy. I'm in the North Island in Auckland where we've got a kind of a subtropical temperature. But if I'm talking to my countrymen, fellow countrymen down in the South Island, they could be having um, some really cold weather, some miserable weather. I mean, Wellington, for instance, they, they, they often get cold, wintry weather. I was going to ask you about Wellington, knowing that it's on the opposite side of the uh, uh, opposite side. Of the, that's about the only thing I know is uh, um, uh, Wellington. Uh, Wellington, Auckland, and wherever it was that they filmed the Lord of the Rings, and that's about the extent uh, yeah. of my, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's what, uh, that's in, all over the place Chon, the south. What was that? No, never mind. I was starting to say Inchon, but that's in the Philippines. Not yeah, no, we've, we've, it's like New Zealand is one of those um, sceneries for the Lord of the Rings. Like you're driving around. Um, we, we, would, we were away for a few days um, at a friend's place. And when we were driving back, even the kids were going, I'm sure I've seen this, this scene in a film. You know, right. so we're. Yeah, uh, that's where Bilbo lives, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, we were in a place yeah. called Matamata. And that's very close to where they built Hobbiton. And uh, so yesterday I promised my kids oh. that this year would be the year that we go to Hobbiton. 
Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Now, we're, we're, we're talking like old friends, but no one who's listening may <laughs> potentially know you, Doctor. So how about you introduce yourself a little bit about sure. who you are and what you do and why we're, yes, why we've met. There you go. Well, uh, I'm Joe Perez. As um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me, um, as our illustrious host has mentioned. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I was a school teacher for 10 years um, before I got into information technology and uh, had started off at North Carolina State University as a computer consultant, then was promoted to computer training manager, then analyst programmer, and ended up my 25-year career there as a business intelligence specialist. Um, a great, great time that I had there at NC State. I wasn't really looking for a job, and some absolutely phenomenal folks from the Department of Health and Human Services, still with the state of North Carolina, where I've been working, uh, recruited me away from the university. They were looking for somebody that uh, could spearhead some business intelligence initiatives. Uh, so I took a promotion and came on board with them, been here a little over about three and a half years now. And um, I get to liaise between uh, high-level business leaders or leaders in our business partners and high-level technical individuals and essentially uh, come up with solutions that both of them can uh, um, uh, both of them can can live with. <laughs> uh, so using, you know, bringing my communication skills to bear and uh, understanding how technical things work, understanding how business processes work, and therefore bringing bringing the two together to um, um, uh, to give them solutions that they can be happy with, um, resolving technical issues, uh, directing the activities of the folks on my team, overseeing projects, and ensuring that they can be brought to completion, and hopefully exceed everybody's expectations along the way. Because data is really where you play. Isn't it data? The data visualization. The da Absolutely. That's a really that's a passion of mine. Uh, I get to speak about that quite often. Uh, uh, yeah, I've, I've been speaking for many, many years. Uh, of course, as a teacher, you speak all the time. But uh, the, the new thing that has just come out of nowhere in the last couple of years uh, is uh, speaking in conferences outside my city or outside uh, my, my workplace. And one of the topics that is a great passion of mine is uh, bringing life to data, you know, uh, making it actionable, uh, showing off the beauty and brains of data when it is actionable. And it's not actionable unless it is able to, unless you're able to do three things with it. And that is answer a question, solve a problem, or make a decision. You know, it's got to do one of those three things. If it doesn't, then you're sunk. You know, because you're 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 wanting to make decisions. You want to use your gut, but your gut's got to be informed by something. What's it going to be informed by? Data, and, and that's been a pretty um, pretty hot topic uh, where I where I've in all the conferences that I've that I've spoken over the last couple of years, and it continues <laughs> it continues to be a hot topic because there's been a big as you as you stated before. There's been a big move, and we see a trend towards the valuable qualitative aspect of data. Because, and, and by the way, excuse um, just for one second. In New Zealand, we call it data. No, in New Zealand, we call it data. In the UK, if oh, I right. say data, they look They'll at me like I'm crazy. Right. It's data. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, I flip yeah. between the two. So please apologize. It's just that chameleon nature of working with, talking with people across the, um, across the globe. Um, you were talking about this big shift slowly as people start to realize that the quantitative data or data has only got a certain amount of value. Without right. the qualitative aspect, it's only the what as opposed to the why. That's how yeah. I see it. Would that make sense? Am I seeing that's, things as a non-data specialist? No, no, no. That's uh, that's actually a fairly uh, a fairly good way of uh uh, of looking at it, right? Because okay, with with quantitative data, uh, it's it's data that you can quantify. You have a um, you have finite values that you can attribute to the pieces of information that you are gathering about a particular population or in a particular industry um, or for a particular object or for a particular group of um, 
items that are being manufactured or services that are being rendered or individuals that are being matriculated, you know, or whatever the case may be. Um, you, uh, you measure, uh, if you're in the medical field, you're going to measure their vital statistics. You know, how much do they weigh? How tall are they? What is their blood pressure? What is their respiration rate? You know, um, what is their temperature and so forth? All those attributes about the individual, um, or the attributes about a vehicle, if you're in automobile manufacturing, right? The the displacement of the engine, the number of cylinders, the, the amount of horsepower that it generates, what's the torque? All those things can be quantified with finite uh, pieces of information. Okay, and and that's important uh, when uh, when you're when you're trying to make decisions, when you're trying to categorize things, when you're trying to um, uh, bring, bring everything together in your summarization, in your aggregation, uh, in your collation and, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, it, it is important. You, it, these are the, these are the what's okay. Um, about, uh, those particular items or people or situations or services or whatever it is that you're measuring. Okay. So then the qualitative, uh, comes into more, like you said, the why, Okay, suppose that there is a customer survey in which uh, people are asked to describe what was their experience with this particular service that you're selling or this particular product uh, that you have manufactured, right? And in some sort of narrative text, people have described it, okay? Um, or, uh, you know, if they rate something from one to five, then you're back to quantitative. Uh, you know, a one is a one, a two, you know, one, two, three, four, five. Those are finite stop gap, you know, uh, measures that you can take, but they get into a narrative description um, of it. Then you're into the quality. So a lot of times um, you can take the qualitative data uh, and build word clouds, right? You have certain words and, you know, if ahead of time that it perhaps they're using machine language or artificial intelligence or, or whatever the case might be to uh, to try to gain some additional insight from uh, the qualitative data, as it were, in building these word clouds that perhaps you can assign uh, certain attributes to certain words like negativity to uh, uh, I hated it. It was awful. It was terrible. It stunk you know, or, or whatever colloquial expression that you assign some sort of negative quality to which you assign a negative quality. Other words, brilliant, tremendous, fantastic, terrific, stupendous. You know, I could go on and on and on, right? You assign a funky, I don't know, I just made that, right? You assign, right? You can assign positive attributes to those to, again, try to gain some sort of insight, look for patterns and see how often do particular words um, occur? How often do particular words based on the demographics of your people, you know, um, uh, folks in certain parts, you know, they're uh, gnarly. Uh, you know, if I say that in, in Bulgaria, nobody's going to know what that means. If I'm <laughs> in downtown Sacramento, everybody knows what that means. You know, yeah. Even within our own country, when we use certain expressions that mean we're, you and I are both speaking the same language and being from different parts of the world, um, you know, we're going to use certain idioms and uh, cultural references that are only, you know, so that's part of, you know, the machine language and the artificial intelligence and so forth to be aware of the demographic, geographical demographics of the individuals that are responding uh, to, you know, the, the, whatever survey is being taken. So taking that, the geography into consideration, taking, uh, uh perhaps gender and ethnicity into consideration, um, you know, taking, uh, socioeconomic background perhaps into consideration, if indeed those pieces of information have been reported upon, okay. Disaggregated from any name or identification, you know, cause everybody's concerned about privacy. Okay. My point in saying that is you can take qualitative data and quantify it yes that where that's wherein lies the rub as we say okay if you can quantify the qualitative data and you can qualify your quantitative data <laughs> then you end up getting the best of both worlds 
you know. Well, I think the quantitative stuff is stuff that we should be able to collect almost without interactions with people because the interactions with people should be considering 80% of our engagement is based on the irrational, is based on the emotional, and that's often the part of the human-to-human relationship that we're ignoring. Surely that's where... Let me take this back one step. And this is probably directed, hey, first day of the year, let's take a swipe at the voice of customer industry. Um, a big industry. Yeah. When are, when are players going to start doing what you say? Because I hate being asked for a zero to ten rating. Because usually it's not got context to it either. And it could have a completely different context in my head anyway, depending on I'm thinking about my outcomes and not the company outcomes, for instance. But surely we, w- we should be able to have rich emotional conversations with people without firing off the analytical brain by asking them a number-based question and right. then extrapolate the MPS score or the CSAT score or whatever it might be, the level of satisfaction from that rich qualitative information. Well, in that case, a lot of times there's a couple of different things you can do depending on the demographic of the people. One will be to associate words, um, excellent, you know, uh, uh, poor Poor, good, average, good, great, excellent, or whatever, you know, just for an example. And don't even tell them that it's a one through five or one through six. Perhaps even associate a picture, because what I think is excellent may not necessarily be the same thing as what you think is excellent. In which case, a generic icon can be like, for instance, a happy face. Excellent looks like this. Good looks like this. Uh, Halfway decent looks like this. Poor looks like this. Terrible looks like this. Okay, right? <laughs> okay, so, you know, use icons that, that represent, perhaps not using this ugly mug as the template hey, thereof. Hey, I've got a face for radio, so we don't put this out visually, so don't worry. You're not in any danger. <laughs> okay, well, you get the idea. So, I do, I do. Yeah. Right, right, right. So a smiley face, uh, a frowny face, uh, a, a face with, you know, whatever that would express. So... You have what do you have? You have the visual clue. You have the word that uh, has a mental picture or that forms a mental picture in in the in the person's mental mind, right? But behind the scenes, you will have some number one, two, three, four, five, six. Just don't tell them that it's a number, and that way, you know, you uh, uh, you have made it more qualitative because um, uh, the person can associate an emotion with that picture that you are displaying and can therefore relate to it uh, even if in their head they may think excellent and good you know tremendous and stupendous is there a difference between tremendous and stupendous right well whatever instead use a picture and yeah if you want to associate words with those pictures fine but don't associate the number at least not in the forward-facing interface with the person who's actually uh, taking the survey or answering the question, whatever the case, that's the stuff that you use behind the scenes. And you can therefore take that and quantify the qualitative data. Now, you qualify the quantitative data using the reverse when you ask, do you agree or disagree? Yes. Boom. That's quantitative. Well, how? to what extent do you agree or disagree? And then you introduce the qualitative data so you can take that quantitative uh, question and expand upon it uh, to give, you know, uh, to give a richer, um, uh, a rich, richer set of data uh, and richer results. You know, the, the more data points you have, the richer your results, uh, the, the greater the insights that can be derived from it. We had a guest on the show that his words are ringing in my ears while listening to you because there were so many parallels. A guy called Tony Boda who's a, um, a customer experience um, consultant from, um, from the States as well. And his advice around voice of customer platforms was, quite similar to you, was switch the script from the quantitative to the qualitative and ch- change the order. Because he says as soon as you start asking people to quantify things, and putting things in numbers, your brain disassociates with the reason why and the emotion. 
And so by going for the reasons why and the emotion and the feelings first, and then asking them at the end, by the way, on a scale of zero to 10, what would you, how would you rate it? Then you've got all the whys loaded before, which are rich right, in that, um, is it right brain thinking, the creative side, or is it left brain thinking, the creative side? Uh, I think it's. I think it's right brain thing because I'm yeah. left-handed and I'm very creative, so I'm. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so that's it. So as soon as if you can keep that creative, um, emotional side of the brain active for as long as possible, he's found that you get much richer and um, complete, uh, more completion rates, richer qualitative information, Absolutely. and also something that they've been able to exact, and they've primed their own pump by being able to work through their emotions to be able to get to a. To a number. Right. It's all in how it's staged. It's all in how you, not staged in the sense that you're leading the witness, but staged in the sense that you are preparing the witness by getting them, you know, because really when you're answering questions, in a sense, you have to get into a certain mindset to see, okay, uh, I'm not going to be biased uh, one way or the other. I'm just going to give my honest opinion of this. And, you know, bias is the, (laughs) bias is the enemy of opportunity, right? You know, how, um, do we, how do we avoid that? Because I see so much negative bias in boring, dull, written surveys that literally I may have had a great experience with you. Um, here's an example. I bought a software synth a couple of years ago. Um, I bought a series of them. It was a big collection. So we're talking... Oh, I shouldn't be saying this because my wife might be listening. Um, <laughs> we're talking, let's say it was $1,000 worth of software um, for cents. I received, yeah, let's just say. Yeah, I received, because there were seven units in the product, I received seven exactly the same worded surveys that... Oh, my. <laughs> I'd, I'd spent a significant amount of money. I was a high-value, low-volume client. I like and that. I was value, being asked in a very high volume, low value way where it's just right. like this. Oh, by the way, we don't know who you are. We, we're not going to take any into account. We're going to ask you questions all about us and we're going to do it in as dry, boring and straight way as possible because we don't want to. I'm, I'm envisaging that there was a researcher behind it saying we mustn't add any bias to the survey. But strangely, it reduced the experience right. and You've added negative bias to it. So yep. how do we, or how do you think that we can avoid bias when we're talking in a, in a, in a, in a cons- to our consumers, to our customers, to our partners? Sure. Well, uh, for one thing, let the data, let the data speak for itself. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. uh, ask straightforward questions straightforward questions um you know the the bias is going to come when you start coloring things the bias is going to come um when uh you know if you ask uh misleading questions okay and um i think that if we capitalize on the opportunity then um i i I think that can be i think that can be i think that can be mitigated um you know, it's it's all about finding insight. Okay, you know, mm. insight. Okay, that's yeah, that, that's, that's what, what we're looking for, right? Yeah, we're exactly. Just you know, for insight. Right, right. See, that finding uh, insight is that finding that contradicts your knowledge. Okay, um, it's either going to confirm or deny whatever hypothesis you already had, your suspicion, if you had one, right? Um, or it's going to quantify its own importance. You know, it, it, it's going to do one of those one of those three things. And if, if if you end up doing that, then you can start deriving in uh, actionable insights, you know, where you can uh, make a decision, answer a question or solve a problem like we were talking about it. it you know, we we're talking about earlier, you know, you'll you'll adapt a process or um, you'll change it altogether or you'll abandon it altogether or you'll confirm that the way you were doing it was right in the first place and you you know keep on going based on the input that you've uh based on the input that you received do you think that there's a insight difference between successful companies and companies that are struggling at the moment um well 
That was a really left field question, by the way. I yeah, just, that, I, I that's just thought that's I wanted to take the conversation now. there. Yeah. If that's okay, okay. with you. Yeah, no, no. Um, gee, I I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, companies that are companies that are, that are successful are, uh, are are those that are that already have their finger on the pulse of their customers. Okay, the ones that tend to succeed more are the ones you know you you have a need. And I have something, a good that I'm selling or a service that I'm providing to meet that need. Okay. So if you have the need and I have the answer to that need, and you think that the product or service that I am providing is worth more to you than the money that you have in your hand, uh, then you give up your money and you gain my product or service. All right, that's what's called commerce, or, or at least we gain the promise. Well, yeah, the that. promise. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Right, right. Yeah, and then later you get into warranty, and you get into promises that weren't fulfilled, and the service didn't meet to expectations. And experience and sucks, and you're treated right. like you're a transaction yeah, instead of a, yeah, a exactly. But assuming, okay, that all goes that that all goes into it is because you know I as a provider of a service or a good. If I have my finger on the pulse of my customer, I know first what my customer needs and how the product or service that I'm providing is going to meet that need and the level of satisfaction that they have with the product that I have produced. You know, I uh, if I'm going to be smart, then I am going to weed out those issues. Uh, I am going to address those concerns. I am going to increase productivity, reduce waste. Uh, improve upon efficiency and hopefully increase the level of satisfaction. How am I going to know that the customers are satisfied unless I am paying attention to the feedback? Okay. So one form of feedback is the sales. You know, sales are slumping in a particular uh, uh, for a particular product line. Then either I'm marketing them at the wrong time, marketing them in the wrong way, or they're the wrong product, or there's something defective about the product. You know, so how am I going to find out about all that data, right? The information, the attributes of the sale and the individual that bought it and the quantities that were sold and, you know, uh, that all that sort of thing. What did it cost for me to produce the product? Am I having issues with my suppliers? You know, one particular product line that is doing poorly. Um, I mean, I thought it was a great product. It was a great idea. I'm the one that came up with it. Yeah, well, I wound up one of my suppliers. Uh, you know, is uh, is getting cruddy, uh, cruddy workmanship from the parts that they're supplying to make this thing, whatever I'm selling. OK, I solve that and uh, I solve that problem. Then what happens? I market that particular product and restore the reputation of that product. And therefore, maybe sales can start picking back up. You know, see, re reputation is a thing that you can. Yeah. Reputation and trust. It's a funny thing. It is very difficult to earn, very easy to lose, and nearly impossible to regain. Uh, and if you concentrate on building that reputation to begin with and guarding everything that every way you can to protect it, I mean, that's true in life, but I'm talking about, you know, like if we're, uh, and I know I'm getting a little bit off the subject, but it's all about getting the input from, from the customer and all that feeds into the success of, of this company. And so, uh, this fictional company that uh, you know that I'm talking about, if they've been able to keep up with um, the the needs of their of their customer uh, and meet those needs and gain the insight and derive actionable insight from the information data that they're getting, uh, then they are going to succeed. Yeah, I I would posit that in your this fictional company, that all right. of those decisions <laughs> are purely gambles. Without the insight behind them, yeah, Which and is and why and first, leading towards right. that, those successful companies, I see customer insights almost, and I have to be careful because I've said this once, and someone said it sounds like you're saying that you're the sun, and I'm not. I'm saying that customer insights should be like the sun inside an organization that literally radiate through every single part of it. Yes, absolutely, giving enlightenment so that actionable insights lead to successful decisions made and those successful decisions lead to even more success increase in productivity 
increase in weight, you know, increases sales, whatever, uh, whatever you want to talk. I mean, I'm no salesman and I'm not a retail person. I'm a data person and I know data and I know that in when you're, uh, you know, letting the data drive your decisions uh, and act accordingly and, and keep your finger on the pulse of what your customer wants and cater to those success or, you know, to, to their satisfaction, you're, it's going to be a win-win. They'll be satisfied with your product. They're going to want to buy more. You're going to have the satisfaction of making more money, you know, and building something that people want. And you continue capitalizing on that success, coming up with additional variations that will also meet other needs that your, that your customer has. How do you find out about all that data? Mm. That's right. That's right. It's exploring more that that what and the why. The insights the insights aren't just the why, are they? If I if I think about it, you've got the what, which is the numbers, and which is the facts, and that's the what. But it's the how, the why, the where. There's all the those other more richer open. Like if I'm thinking back to my sales training and my background was in sales, it's yeah, those yeah. open ended questions yeah, yeah, right. that we've got. So the the quantitative stuff is just that one question, the the what, as opposed to the why, the how, the where, the who. Yeah, as well. And, and yeah, you have to explore every every, every one of those, right? Uh, you know, you you've got your you've got your information, the what. You've got the the qualitative modifiers that tell you the the why. Uh, the how goes back to the manufacturing process. You know, what are the steps that we're going to have to do uh, to, you know, how do we go about meeting these needs? Yes. Okay. And how know. would you like to in, integrate this product into your life? And how would you um, uh, how would you like to see the company change? The, the, those those consumers have got a lot of hows and investment and whys. Yes, exactly. Well. And who, well, who's going to do it? Well, who is best suited to do it? Then you've got data on the manufacturing side and on the, on the sales side and on the, um, uh, the, uh, the project planning side, uh, uh, on the, uh, well, for that matter, even on the HR side, you know, mm-hmm. you're <laughs> the folks that are in your company that, uh, uh, are going to determine, you know, uh, how do we recruit the best talent that, uh, that can perform the tasks that we need to provide these things that these uh, um, customers that we like so much uh, are going to get. So yeah, there, there's all kinds of, uh, um, uh, it is a multifaceted issue that requires a multi-pronged approach in order to get a, uh, multi, uh, a multifaceted solution, you know? <laughs> very difficult to do that unless you can find one unifying factor and uh, I guess it'd probably be no surprise to you or the listeners that I think that unifying factor is the customer it really is without without um, the insight and the and and the the knowledge about that customer everything else is process and and system and and very much the what what do we do right the means to the end and we, we're all about knowing what the means are, but we can't forget the end. And that end is to ensure that you please the customer because they're the ones that are buying the stuff that you're selling. They're essentially giving you your paycheck That's indirectly, right. but they do. Yeah. Well, this last year has made that even more important for companies to understand, especially as, and I'm not sure what it's like where you are, but certainly in New Zealand where we have been blessed with the impact of COVID, but we've still got a, 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 a lifting self-worth in the customer where we have seen on the news how important we are to certain industries, how industries are crying out for us to support them, which means that customers now know that they are way more important than they used to be. When we were just in the commodity economy, customers weren't really that important because it was just, we've got product, we're selling it cheaper than everybody else. We've got high volume so we can make lots of money from it. Yeah. And you know what? I could live with this mouse, even though it doesn't have the center thing. And, you know, I mean, it only cost me 12 bucks and yeah, I guess I can live with it. You know, we'll, we're, we're, we settle for lower quality. 
and then when we realize there's higher quality somewhere else and we start buying from somewhere else, then, of course, that spurs the competition between the companies to build a better mouse or, you know, what, whatever it is that you're that, that you're buying. It just happened to be in my hand. <laughs> so, you know, again, it, it's still what what where do we go back to? It goes back to the customer once again. Mm. Data visualization. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm moving around because I know we've probably only got about 10 minutes left. And this is something that I really wanted to touch on because it's something that I'm involving myself in, but I'm, I'm no expert. I'm learning as I go. How can companies, in, as, we, as we start to enter what's been dubbed the transformation economy, how do we start tapping into the power of data visualization, which I think the majority of companies still, certainly small companies, are still waiting to discover the value of. Right, right, of course. So, you know, I think that, I think it's really important for companies that want to get greater insight to the data that they have um, is to have the right people working for them who have innate ability to plow through the data. You know, you've got it, you know, the, it used to be the biggest concern was the cost of storing data, the cost of, you know, it, and, you know, there's no, <laughs> there's no shortage of data now. It's not, the, the issue is not with data consumption now. The issue now is with data utilization, right? I mean, there's more data. I've been told that there's more data being being generated in a single day than there would have been during Einstein's entire lifetime. Okay, <laughs> and and you know, getting getting the right people on on your staff that have the ability to be able to plow through the data, to um, to assemble it, to aggregate it to look for the insights, okay, that are able to take that data from the concept on the one side to the reality on the other um, and prepared in such a way that the people who are the decision makers uh, can look on it and, and, you know, see something that is visually compelling, not just a pretty graph, because really, you know, with a few mouse clicks in Excel, you can you can make a pretty nice looking graph. Okay, <laughs> but you don't know what, what in the world is it saying? You know, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I. But you know, certain you know, best practices to follow uh, that um, you know you don't want. To, uh, for instance, Tufty's lie factor. Okay, um, never let the size of the effect shown in the graphic be greater than the size of the effect shown in the data. Okay. Mm. For example, oh, I, I can think about all those news programs that go against Tufty's law. Right. Yeah, they do. Right. Okay. For example, if I wanted to make a graph and uh, I want to show the number of um, the number of tech support calls that came into my company, and I'm really creative, so I want to make my little icons look like wrenches. Right. Say the first month there are ten such tech support calls, and I make the wrench this big. Now, if the following month there are 40 tech support calls, how much bigger should the next wrench be than this one? It should be four times bigger, right? <laughs> not this. Okay, like this. Yeah, right. yeah. But not like so this. It, right. Exactly. Okay, like example. <laughs> See, yeah, yeah. Uh, I make them look like a penny. Right, exactly. And, you know, some people will will do something uh, it, uh, just to use the perspective, you know. Their wrench will be this big, and it's like 10 times bigger, you know. <laughs> okay, they've exceeded the lie factor, and a lot of graphs will do that. They'll have this big old bohonking huge thing. I've used that illustration at uh, where I've, uh, conferences where I've spoken. Um, I used that at the um, uh, Convey UX when I spoke in Seattle last year. Uh, in the good old days before COVID shut everything down. But, you know, yeah. the, the the wrench that I used, I mean, my son has this bow honk and he, I am not lying. Uh, that thing is probably about 18 inches long and about this thick. OK. And, and I held that thing up and said, hey, you know, I mean, it, it brought the house down. So yeah, it's like, uh, you know, certain best practices. OK, get the getting back to what we were talking about is. Uh, is know what these things are. Don't exceed Tufty's lie factor. Um, you know, um, uh, ensure that as you label things uh, that you do it consistently. 
make sure that if you're zooming in on a scale that you do it consistently. You don't like uh, have one scale that starts from zero and another scale that starts right in the middle and it makes the differences between two of the data points appear to be much more drastic mm. than what it really is. Okay, you know, certain basic practices like that, um, the use of color, you know, um, uh, contrasting colors differentiate among groups, whereas differing shades of the same color can show the relative strengths or weaknesses of a value. Okay, you know, certain principles like that that you use uh, in such a way that uh, are a not only visually appealing, not only, yeah, it has got to be appealing, it's got to be compelling, but it's got to be correct. And it's got to be consistent. You know, <laughs> there you go. Compelling, consistent, and correct. The three C's of uh, effective uh, uh, data data visualization, you know, because it, it, it's got to be right. Uh, and you got to be able to explain it if it doesn't pass the smell test. You know, someone who's familiar with uh, their uh, uh, their cycles in their business. You hand them a graph that has some huge dip or something, you know. Um, uh, and you can't explain why there's a dip. It, did did sales really really did go down, or was it just because some uh, one of the uh, one of the subsidiaries isn't reporting, right? And then you go back and you check the original data and you find, oh yeah, it's because this particular area wasn't reporting. It wasn't that sales really did go down. So. You know, it, it, it's important to have individuals, the right, sta a, a good uh, a data scientist, business analyst, um, a report developer, um, uh, systems analyst, you know, people like that who have an innate ability to plow into numbers and look at them and uh, present them consistently um, and, and know the business inside and out so that they can give you something that will give you the insight that you're looking for. You touched on something there. How much siloing impacts data science in organizations? Like I, I see siloing everywhere and I see it as being like kryptonite to customer experience and probably kryptonite yep. to business growth, really. Is that where, if there's some data scientists listening, would you say that a good proportion of them are probably, oh, I wish I knew more about my company. I wish I could get a broader view of the, the systems and the processes so I could, I, could, I could bring context and other insight into my own work. Absolutely, because, it, it, you know, okay, siloing, the worst case scenario of siloing, right, will be uh, a report developer that uh, grabs these, oh, oh boy, this is a pretty looking graph and just goes ahead and produces the graph. Or the um, uh, uh, the data scientist that's just looking at the numbers and producing it, all they see is just nothing but spreadsheets all day long, right? Um, or the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the ETL developer that uh, the only thing they do is, uh, that's, sorry, uh, uh, extract, transform, and load. To, to use the uh, uh, the acronym, you know, pulling the data out of one source, uh, transforming it if needed to, uh, to to meet the needs, and then load it into your destination tables, ETL. Anyway, the people who do that aren't paying any attention to the science behind it. The people who know the science behind it aren't paying any attention to the business context. The people who know the business context aren't paying any attention to the previous trend and future extrapolation. You know, So it's all about communication. It's all about break. Yeah, the silos are good, but only when they're interconnected silos, right? Matrices, you know, maybe. Yeah, there you go. Uh, whatever niche that you have gotten yourself into, share with the other. That this is where it comes down to leadership. That is aware. You know, uh, the the leader, the the you know the chief technology officer, whatever, uh, or chief data officer doesn't necessarily have to know every single piece of data, but he or she needs to know the people, the talent that they have within their organization in these different silos. If it as you as you. Uh, uh, as you will, and bring them together to talk, <laughs> bring them together and have someone that can give the overall, um, uh, uh, articulate the landscape of, uh, uh, of how the business is go going and what they're doing so that everybody knows a piece of everything. And you've got people like uh, a CTO or a CDO who 
uh, are able to bring these folks together, bring these different disciplines together with people that have the overall 10,000 foot overarching view of the mission, vision, and goals of your organization. And I think that's how you can have success, working together, communicating together, and building the solution together. Intentional collaboration. We really need to, we really need to get on in 2021. Um, you know, I think it was, uh, the, in the, in the fourth industrial revolution book uh, by Schwab. And they talk about the, the future being all about intentional and aggressive collaboration, like really, really focusing on that's where all of the, I said, you're bringing together all these quantum computers, all these different insight bubbles that allow, they allow you through collaboration to create, to provide a much richer and accurate picture of the universe that you are operating in. Yes. It's got to be intentional. You know, it's got to be something that, you know, leadership needs to foster it. Leadership needs to enable it. Leadership needs to encourage it and leadership needs to implement it. They've got to do all of these things. It's not good enough just to say you're going to collaborate. You've got to have leadership across the board, you know, to, uh, you've got innovators in the middle level, uh, the 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 workers at the bottom level that 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 are churning things out, innovator in, in, innovators in the center who can see the people who are doing the work, who have the ear of the folks that are making the decision, and then you've got the people who are making decision that are listening to the innovators and are appreciating the workers and all three levels or four or five however many levels you got, you know, will come together to have that synergy so that each plays off the strengths of the other. And you deploy your resources where they can do uh, the the greatest good, um, the, the the greatest good in the shortest amount of time for the least amount of cost for the greatest benefit for the largest number of customers with the least amount of response with the most amount of responsibility and least amount of revenue generated or revenue consumed, but most amount of revenue generated. Yeah, you know how many plates can you keep going? Uh, by yourself when you got several other people that are also going to be keeping those plates going. I love then that you, analogy. You stand, a chance to, you stand a chance to getting through the, the entire show without one of those plates falling off the stick, you know? Yeah. You remember yeah. that? I remember that I when do. I was a kid. Yeah. I used to be fascinated by it as a, as a kid in like yeah. late 70s, early 80s, watching it on That's the magic right. shows. Yep. And, yeah, if you've got a grit, you, like you couldn't do that as a team without regular feedback. As you're going around, there can't be any, well, I'm just going to look after these ones here. It, it just, one, it looks boring then as well. It's not very impressive when there's just one person doing four and another person doing four. Um, whereas if you've got two people doing 38, then they're feeding back as they're going around where they should be going, what they're seeing. It's fascinating. I, 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 I'm get, we're going we're gonna to end on, on this note. As Siri... Oh, Siri just piped up. I'm going to turn that off. I'm not sure whether you heard that. Um, she picks up on my voice all the time. It can be quite embarrassing. I'll be having a conversation with <laughs> so she'll interrupt. Um, but I love the fact that we've ended on leadership. We've kind of really joined, you know, those data, the data scientists that are extracting and getting that, that insight need to be totally valued by, by leadership. Um, and um, and leadership do need to be the ones that drive the the the, the breakdown of the breaking down of silo walls, um, the the lift in value of customer insight throughout the organisation, because without that you've just got one organiser you've got just got one part of the organisation who is trying to do good with their insights, but their insights are kept away from the potential areas where they Absolutely. could have a real impact. They mean well. They mean well. And the, the leadership that recognizes that the customer insight and the customer input will be the glue that, uh, you know, brings all these different uh, silos together to have this uh, uh, intelligent and intentional co- collaboration and cooperation, uh, then, you know, you, you can't help but succeed. Love it. Yep. So really important conversation to have at the start of this year. It's been a brilliant one for me to kind of, you know, 
dust off the the um the the cobwebs um after a three week break. So thank you I very much. Um, before we go though. But before we go, I mean, you're such a fascinating gentleman. I know that there'll be people listening that will want to reach out to you. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you? And what would you like to hear from people about? Like, what what are the things that you would like to help people with? Sure. So uh, I can be reached at uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, just search for me, Dr. Joe Perez. Uh, or actually Joseph Perez, Dr. Joe is the way I am in LinkedIn, but it's uh, linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash JW Perez. And uh, I am, um, I'd be delighted to speak at your conference, to try to share the insights that I've, that I've gathered and to, uh, to bring it as it were to an audience uh, whether it be for a motivational thing, whether it be educational or technical in nature. I've uh, been doing this for a long time. I know how to work a crowd. I, I'll give 120% on the stage. And, uh, you know, you hand me the mic and I guarantee you're not going to get death by PowerPoint. That's for sure. <laughs> That's great. I can't, I, I could never imagine you doing that. No, no way. You're, you're very kind. You're very kind to say that. But, uh, uh, but that's, that, that's what You'll I, be there with your wrench. There you go. That's right. (laughs) All three of them. You get to see what the third wrench is. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, Joe, thank you once again for being on the show. I can't wait till we speak again. I've got a few things to talk to you about over the next couple of months that have been percolating while we've been talking. We won't bore the readers with with the listeners (laughs) with that. But again, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll speak again very soon. It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been an honor and uh, wish you all the best of success in the world. Thank you very much. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for listening today. I hope you got some really solid value out of the conversation. If you did get some value, please consider subscribing using any of the links below. We are on all major podcast platforms. And feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or via our website, www.halftimeorange.co.nz. Look forward to speaking with you next time.